I was desperate to see if I could distinguish myself. I was desperate. I was desperate to see if I could be as unique as I felt. I just didn't want to be ordinary. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends, if you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. Today, I am making friends with Brian Callen. If you hate laughing, then you will hate today's guest. Brian Callen is one of my all-time favorite people in the comedy space at the moment. Whether you know him from his roles in movies like The Hangover or Old School, his frequent appearances on The Joe Rogan Experience, or his own podcast, The Fighter and the Kid with Brennan Schaub, or even The Brian Callen Show, this episode will show you a side of Brian that you probably are not familiar with. More about being a dad, more about how to overcome struggle in life and why it's important to put yourself through struggle. Uh, We talked about so many things that I've been eager to ask him uh, that he normally does not get into. So if you are a fan of comedy, if you're a fan of Brian Callen and a fan of overall improving yourself, which I'm sure you are, you wouldn't be listening to this show, then please enjoy this conversation that I was able to have with Brian Callen. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends. Today, I'm making friends with the one and only Brian Callen. Brian, what's up, dude? Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. And it's good to be your friend. I look forward to working on our friendship over the next hour. Uh, there's nothing I enjoy more than creating intimacy with another man in a sky blue shirt with that kind of a beard and a barrel chest. I knew that was the type of person that, that you are. You're damn right. And that's right. why I'm here. You're yeah. damn right. Friendship's interesting, isn't it? It's like, thinking about that, I think you connect, men connect on two different ways. I think they connect one in how much they laugh with each other. You yeah. know, that's a bonding experience. But also probably you connect when you're doing something difficult together. Yes. You know? Yes. War. Totally. Military shit. Yeah. You know, being on a uh, the struggle. same team, the struggle, yeah. the, the, the shit work. Yeah. You know, when you're somewhere you don't want to be, but you're <laughs> suffering together, <laughs> that shit creates a bond. Yeah. It was two, three months ago. I'm basically at this point fully recovered, but a couple friends of, of mine and I did a 38 mile run. Jesus Christ. From dude. midnight to 9 a.m. Took the me f- almost nine hours. What? And that's exactly what happened. But what you're talking about is like that. Well, why did we do this? You know what? Who got us into this fucker to begin with? Mile run. Thirty-eight mile run. Yeah. yeah. And I was not very well trained for it. You know, yeah. as you can tell, I'm a fairly bulky person. I was. I didn't have any business doing long distance running. My toenail just nobody fell off. Nobody has any. Like, nobody has any business running thirty-eight <laughs> miles. Like twenty-six <laughs> miles. Life is too short to run twenty-six. Not. Hey, let's tack on another twelve. Anybody want to run another twelve? Was 26 not enough? The answer was no. Yeah. And the answer was yes. The fucking it was story enough. of the marathon was he dies at the end. He <laughs> ran 26 miles to tell him the Spartans were coming or whoever. And he fucking <laughs> died. You want to do another 12? That's what human beings yeah, yeah. Uh, For some reason. And specifically, that's what dudes do. I had a guy who he was swam from Catalina Island to Santa Monica. Now, Catalina Island is out. Yeah. And just, just so you know. There are, that's where the big gray whites hang out. That's where the 22 footers hang out. That's where they're all just swimming around, eating sea lions, elephant seals, whatever the fuck they eat out there. And he swam, he he started at 11 
p.m. So he's like, I'm going to swim at night and swam from 11 p.m. and got there at 7 a.m. And then he goes, would love to get you in the water with me sometime. <laughs> it's not about like a pool. Hey, bro. <laughs> hey, bro. I'll be in the boat and it better be a big boat. <laughs> And I'll be in a in a warm poncho with donuts and fucking cocoa going doing stuff like this. You got it. You got it. And if it's at night, I won't be. Yeah. I'll be napping. And I'll wake up at seven, maybe with the sun. Groggy. Fucking get out of here. Get out of here with your long swim. Uh, dude, it's so funny uh, that men tend to be that way. I do want to go back in time and build a little bit of context before we jump into some other things here. You have a fascinating story and I didn't even know everything about it until I was doing a lot of prep work for this interview. And I was like, Jesus Christ, dude, how many countries have you lived in? Yeah. How many places have you been to? So for people who don't know, you were born in the Philippines mm -hmm. and I'm not even going to try to piece the puzzle together from there. Yeah, Can you then, take us then, to that? Uh, Calcutta in, in India. Then we moved to Bombay, which is now Mumbai in India and then Lebanon and then Pakistan, then Lebanon again. And the war broke out. Even as a kid, I saw that country change under war. It was only six months. I saw we, we were going to buy a house or move into a house and we weren't, we weren't able to, you know, I just saw everything change, you know? Yeah. And then uh, we were evacuated to Greece and you, then just military family. Banking. 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 Yeah. Okay. And then, I mean, you know, everybody's like, oh, you dead work for the CIA. Who knows? But, you know, <laughs> hey, listen, you keep waking up free every morning. He'll do what he does. All right. And then we moved from Greece to Saudi Arabia. Now, my parents stayed in Saudi Arabia, and then they were in Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, different parts of the Middle East. And I, I went to boarding school in Massachusetts because you couldn't go to high school in Saudi Arabia back then. Foreigners couldn't go. Really? So school ended in, by wow. eighth grade. So all of us had to be shipped That's off. wild. Yeah, you had a choice between Switzerland or, you know, or the United States. It was such an international school. So everybody just kind of, it was a diaspora. We were just, you know, you just lost. So for me, saying hello and goodbye constantly. Yeah, was was chaos. Yeah, no. maybe even a little traumatic. But so so I you moved. It. So you went to Massachusetts when you were fourteen. Yeah, was this the first time you were in the states? Yes, I'd visited, but only like two weeks at a time. But your parents were from the states, or no? My parents were from the states. Okay, so you so, spoke English. It was still. Yeah, like, yeah, English is my first language. Yeah. So I, I didn't know how to add, like, do little things. Like, I'd never watched TV, like American TV. I didn't know much about sports. I never watched, you know, I didn't have a team. Yeah. I didn't know how to address an envelope. Little weird shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you're moved around constantly like that, even in the middle of the year, you miss chunks of your education. Sure. You really do. You These know, knowledge you, gaps. You don't take grammar. Like, grammar they forgot. <laughs> you don't know. There's just all kinds of shit that happens, man. And, and I think... When you're a kid like me who suffered from a form of ADHD, you know, they didn't diagnose it back then. Yeah. But it certainly, I think the stress and the lack of consistency didn't help a kid with my brain. Yeah. You know, and, but God bless, thank God, because my compensation was to be funny and yeah, sure. Shit, so, yeah. sure. I was going to ask, is that, do you look kind of at that time in your life as like a, neutral? Did it give you an advantage? Did it give you a disadvantage? I think any, any kind of struggle, if you are taught how to navigate it, if you have support from an adult, you can't just have, throw a child into, you know, chaos without a real love and support. Yeah, Parents, toss them in the pool fathers and, and mothers. Man. Yeah, yeah, disaster. But I think, you know, I think it was Nietzsche who said, for my children, I wish nothing but loss and depravity because it's, it's only the blessed, you know, are so, you know, th there is that idea that 
whatever you go through, you'll be, you'll be thankful for. And if you're not, you have to orchestrate your life so that you are thankful for it. But I certainly would never change it. The opposite of victimhood. Yeah, but my sister was not that way. My sister lived that way, but she did, she, it didn't affect her the same way it did me. Hmm. I don't know why. In what way? Who knows? My sister is very stable, very kind of like feet on the ground. And I was born with a, an imagination. Yeah. And, you know, and so who knows what I would have been. She'd be, maybe, it, I don't know how much of it is nurture and how much of it is nature. Sure. Yeah. That's know? kind of the question, right? Yeah. It's like the psychology behind that, where your sister basically goes the opposite way yeah. and, and seeks <clears throat> the stability that she didn't have. And then you just kind of embraced the chaos yeah, and well, continued in it. My father is, she's more like my father. My father could live in all those countries and never speak a word of the language, which is baffling to me. My mother would go there and immerse herself in the culture and learn the language. She speaks Arabic, French, Spanish. You know, the, these were the things, Italian. She would put herself in those. She spoke Urdu. She, she really worked at not only speaking the language, but making sure that uh, we as children were surrounded by the people of that country and ate that food. We didn't eat American food. My mother was like, I'm going to eat what the Pakistanis eat. I'm going to eat what the Indians eat. I'm going to eat what the Filipinos eat. I'm going to eat what the Greeks eat. And so, and my father, to his credit, understood the value of that. Yeah. Was she working as well? No. She was just raising us. Okay. But dad was just kind of this elusive job career. Always gone. Always gone. You know, gone. And then, but, 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 but my father deserves credit because I knew he cared about me more than anything else. Yeah. That was always what was instilled. So even though he was gone a lot, and the irony is I'm gone a lot too. Right? I, was gonna say, yeah. Yeah. I, was I don't know. It's, it's tough yeah. because um, comedians will tell you that. It's, it's tough. You miss a lot. Yeah. Listen, it's only on the weekends. Yeah. And, I, and I get to make people laugh. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also Monday at 10 a.m. and you're home mm-hmm. with your family. Right. Exactly. Like you, you, that's awesome. There, there's, there's a lot of, I don't know, it, that's a conversation I've had a lot recently with my wife. You know, we have two kids. I'm 30. She's about to be 31. And we're traveling a lot constantly for work and stuff. And it hits you harder when your kids are like, you know, when your kids get old enough, start asking you, you know, like, hey, why are you leaving? Or where are you going? You know, it's like, oh. But we try to at least explain to them, you know, like I'm doing this so that we can have this version of life that most people don't ever get to experience. And because I don't like to settle. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. There's a huge amount of value in that because you're setting an example for your children of excellence. And I think you have to live your your life. I think when you use your children as an excuse not to live your life, I think that's a huge fuck you. Totally. I think that's- It's a disservice. I don't don't agree with that. Yeah. So then I suppose you're there. But if your children understand that you love them and that you're setting an example, I think there's a great deal of value in that. I don't know. Every child is different and every situation is different. Sure. Sure. As long as you get the main things across of like, I love you, care for you, and I do these things. Well, truth, you know, I mean, you want to do this. Yeah. I realized that I hated acting. Mm. I hate it. I just, I don't like the process. I don't like it. Yeah. You know, and I worked so hard at being good at it for years. And then when, when I finally realized, I don't like this, I'm just going to do stand up. That's where I really feel alive. That's the best feeling in the world when I get to write my own stuff yeah. and wrestle with being original and then put it up on stage. Yeah. There's nothing like that. Yeah. I don't miss acting even a little bit. Right. Yeah. That's funny. How long did it take you to realize that? 50 fucking years, man. I I didn't accept that until I was 53. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's fucking amazing how you get older and you're like, it it takes me. The frustrating thing about life is, at least for me, I'm such a slow learner. I've been wrong more than I've been right by far. It's humbling. I was listening to an interview you did, I think it was recent, and you were mentioning how 
Joe Rogan was called you or something and said he was going to quit acting. And oh, at the yeah. time it kind of blew your mind. Yeah. Joe was always ahead of the curve that way. That motherfucker could, he would just, he was always telling me to just stop for as long as I can remember. He's like, fucking stop acting and fucking do stand up. But I mean, back then though, like having a sitcom and was like, there, like there was, was no everything. YouTube, there's no, there's no, podcast. I know what he saw in me that I wasn't that guy. He saw that I was a comic. You know, I just never fucking, if I had listened to Joe, like this is a weird thing to say. I've never really said it. But if I think if I had listened to him, like really listened to what he said about just focusing on stand-up and being my own person, Joe had to be his own person. Joe grew up without a dad. So Joe had to, he had to be his own person. The world, without going into detail, at nine years old for Joe, the world got, became a very dangerous place. And he realized that the only person he could rely on was himself. I never had that realization. I never had that. I yeah. always had a whole infrastructure of family I had to rely on. That's not a service because it allows you to bullshit yourself for a long time. Kind of faith in the system instead of faith in yourself. Yeah, it allows you to kind of like, it, it allows you to not grow up all the way. And I don't think yeah. you grow up, you grow up completely when you realize there's that Instagram thing where the woman, I don't know who she was. She was like, nobody's coming. No one's coming. Nobody's coming. This is you, man. You stand on your own two feet. The people that I've seen that really do great things realize that very, very early on. And it came from some kind of trauma, which goes back to what I'm saying about if you understand how to navigate loss or navigate, you know, chaos, trauma, that way lies the gold. Sure. I don't think comfort necessarily makes for a dynamic human being. Yeah. Or strong people yeah. with real values. Yeah, that... this, is, this, is, this is nothing new that we're saying, but, yeah. you know. But I, I, I understand it deeply. How do you think of that when it comes to parenting? This is like one of the biggest dichotomies for me as a dad, because as a dad, you, you want to give your kids everything. But in giving them everything, you're taking away a lot of things from them, I think. Like, it's not a good thing to be a shitty dad so that they have trauma to work through. That makes them yeah, stronger, but, right? I mean, yeah, like, but, you know, Newt Gingrich was on Jordan Peterson's podcast, and he said something to the effect of, I come from a generation... The last two generations are of parents who believe that their kids have to like them. My mother did not raise us that way. And he used a couple examples of people. And it's true. I'm not your fucking friend. I'm your parent. And so I'm going to make you do shit that sucks. My buddy does this. He says to his kids, and his three kids are crushing it. And he goes, they're like, and he's like, I love you enough to be harder on you than the things you're going to face. So- do it. And so in my opinion, again, it goes back to, I'm here. I love you. I'm your rock. I'll never go anywhere, but you're going to do the things I tell you to do. You're going to finish things you started. You're going to get good at something. Yeah. I say that to my son, my daughter, I, I need no, my daughter, I don't need any motivation for that, that gal. She's 14. And she's just like, I want to be a scientist, an engineer. I want to be a singer. I want to be a tennis player. I want to be 50,000. And she's doing them all. It's like, gee, I, I, and, and she talks about college. Now I won't get into a college. I'm like, ah, you're 14. Don't die. She's not allowed to talk about college. I, I lose my mind. I go, I don't want to hear about college, okay? How about having a little fun, a little joy in your life? You're like, she's you're out. barely not she's, a kid anymore. Dude, yeah. she's type A, man, type A. Competitive, like if it's not a competition, she don't want to do it. She gets it from her mother. She gets it from my dad. It's all good. So I don't have to worry about that girl at all. She's a monster in a good way. My son is exactly like me. The, the escape, escape artist, Houdini, fucking Houdini. It's like, so I gotta, I gotta, I gotta crack the whip. Yeah. I gotta crack the whip. And he'll come in my, I, my, my wrist. I fell on my wrist. 
So right now, that, uh, my stomach is a little queasy. I had to, I'm like, that's cool. Your feelings don't matter here, okay? <laughs> this is not a democracy. This is a monarchy. I'm the king, and you're giving me my fucking half hour of boxing or working out, whatever we're going to do. But you're going to get good at something. Yeah. Because I can see that you have the same brain that I do, which is you want to take path of least resistance. That's my problem. And the only reason I'm somewhat successful is because of my ego. I'm not impressed with myself. I'll tell you that much. You know, so you look at what motivates you and it's like, I don't know. Yeah. That's super interesting that you would, because from a third party objective standpoint, it would seem like you are the person that kind of strives for excellence all the time time. and pushes yourself. I mean, I, I couldn't bear not being good. Yeah. It's an alpha mentality. Sure. sure. I, I hate that alpha beta shit, but I, but I would always come into like, if it was a wrestling room or it was a, whatever it was, I was like, well, I can't be JV. I yeah. gotta be varsity. Right. right. I gotta be, I gotta be the guy they're talking about. No matter what the fuck happens, I gotta figure out a way to be in the conversation. No matter what. Yeah. Even with boxing, when I started boxing, like I was too old and I was getting hit too much. I was getting dizzy. But Wayne McCulloch was like, you're such a fighter. Because in my mind, I'd get hit and I'd, I would fucking obsess. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to punch that dude. I'm going to knock that fucking guy. And it's, it's an outrageous <laughs> thing to say when you're, when, you're not a, when you're 50, whatever I was, 50 years old, and also not a boxer and also not, not a tough guy. But I know that if I had started when I was really young, I would, I would have CTE now because totally. yeah. anything you do, you know, I, I would have had to figure out my way and I wouldn't have been as fast or strong. So I would have had to, I don't know, who knows? And I probably would have failed. Yeah. But, but I think that's a, that's a personality trait. Did, did you play sports growing up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, which ones? I was mostly a wrestler. Okay. Didn't, which is a nightmare. Didn't pursue it much? No, I went to, I went to, you know, D1 school to wrestle. I went to American okay. University. And then I think I went to Dan Gable's wrestling camp in Iowa. And uh, if anybody knows about that, it's a nightmare. It's a fucking nightmare. They train you, they train you, quote unquote, like a champion. And I, and I remember I went to college and I saw one of the kids walking and he had, he was like hundred and, he's probably hundred in the 162 pound, whatever, but just thick as shit. Probably yeah. walked around at 190. Yeah. And I could see his ears and he was like a senior and he was walking like this. His body looked up and I was just like, and I, and I thought to myself, I could see the suffering on his body. Yeah. And I knew what do you want to age 20. I knew what the fuck <laughs> yeah. it was going to be. I knew I was going to be waking up at 530 in the morning running sprints for an hour. Right. I knew I'd be wrestling twice a day. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I knew I'd be sucking weight. And I, I knew what that pain was. And I looked at him and I was like, at the end of this, what's going to happen? Yeah. I'm going to be able to shoot a double leg really well and do those things. Now, what I should have said to myself was, if I can get through four years of a D1 program, and American wasn't a big D1 program. If I can get through four years of any program, wrestling program in college, it would have been amazing. It would have been in every way. All the benefits that come from that are, are intangible. You can't explain it. So my regret, I, oh, I have one regret, and that's not wrestling in college. But what I did instead was I, I got into kickboxing and you know Taekwondo. Gotcha. Because I saw these guys punching each other and kicking each other. And I was like, I want to learn how to do that. Where was the aspiration for like comedy and acting and all that stuff? I just the only thing I was good at. I wasn't good at like martial arts. So you did it immediately. Like I was in never going to be a great athlete. I wasn't going to be a yeah. good wrestler. If I'd gone to American, no matter what I did, I bet you I would have been too weak. Well, what, were, what were you studying at American? I, I was a history major, but I mean, again, I knew early on I was never going to be a great athlete. Yeah. I'm not strong enough. I'm not not. not I don't have the mentality. Yeah. I, I maybe had the mentality to wrestle, and I again that competitive spirit, but. There were guys that were just always going to, there was no fucking way I was going to be. On a certain went, level in athletics, raw talent 
combined with hard work beats yeah. beats exclusively hard work. Well, I've talked to I've talked to Ben Askren who doesn't believe in talent, which is you know he he was obsessed with wrestling, and but I I, I wasn't that way. And uh, I didn't have Ben Askren's mind, and I certainly was never gonna, you know. So I, I just maybe I didn't love it enough. Maybe I wasn't. Maybe I was. I think I'm inherently moderate at the same time physically. Sure. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna train eight hours a day and right. and then have two fake hips and two fake knees like Dan Gable. Oh, right, exactly. That's part of the journey, though. Right, is doing stuff Learning. and figuring out that man, eh, maybe that's not for me, and then pivoting and moving a different direction. I always say that. I always say that uh, like sports are important for at least men because you learn how tough you're not. Yeah, right, right. right. That's fucking <laughs> huge, dude. Yeah. Or what you're willing to do to be, that's the thing for me is anything worth having is going to be a struggle to get yeah. anything in life. You'll never hear me say, man, I would have been a Navy SEAL. Yeah. I know I couldn't make it. I'll First of all, in the bell. I get too cold. <laughs> I I fucking I get it's a lack of sleep for me, man. All of it. The lack of sleep all thing. Of I'd have been like, I'm out. I gotta yeah. take a nap. I mean, if you ever been around guys like Tim Kennedy or the, you know, Mike Glover, you're just like yeah. they're, they're fucking smart as shit, and they they just have a different engine. It's like you're not cold. So my this guy Mike uh, Ritland the other day, uh, uh, Ritler, I think, um, and he he's uh, he trains police dogs and i do this series called best of and i had this dog you know kind of launch on my arm but um he was a navy seal i'm in four layers in dallas because it was 37 degrees he's in a fucking t-shirt rolled up and just talking to me for an hour an hour and a half i go are you not cold he goes what i go you're not cold and he goes i don't know i just i didn't notice it i go well that's why i'm a pussy that's why you were a navy seal and i'm an actor in four layers. So I'll, I'll never be happy because I'm ultimately not tough. So when, when you were in college, was the goal acting at that point? I think I wanted so badly to be liked. I think that's a huge part of, again, what drove me was not admirable. I think I just wanted to be loved. And I saw, I think I saw a tennis player and all these people were all over him. I think it was Maz Bielander or someone. And I just was like, I want to be admired like that. I want to be different. I want to be special. I want to be the kind of person they talk about, not who's taught. I, I didn't want to be a spectator. I wanted to be the person out there. And I got to taste that from wrestling. Yeah, You're alone out there on that mat. And I, I had done things as a kid. I was very driven. I, I, I accomplished certain things, like in judo, little things like that, that I didn't expect to accomplish. So I got a taste of, you know, I, I will say that Somehow I could run for a long distance. I won a race, I remember, when I was 12 or 11. Yeah, yeah. And I beat the adults or 12. I don't know what I was, but 13, maybe, 14. But I, I ran, and, I, and I, I, th I couldn't understand. And I realized I finished second. And I, I was like, well, I did? I had no idea. Yeah. Or when I was, uh, I was in eighth grade, and I won. This is fucking hilarious to even talk about this. But I won most athletic kid in school when I was in eighth grade. I was so shocked I was so shocked. I didn't know what they, she said, Brian Cullen. And I didn't move. Yeah. And I said to my mother, so, I go, well, that I sounds like my name. And my mother goes, well, you're very coordinated. Like, hey, okay. I guess it was the fucking craziest thing. And I think it was eighth grade. I don't fucking remember. Maybe it was sixth grade. Who cares? But the point is, I remember those feelings of yeah. being singled out. Yeah. And I said, I want to be that over this. But then I realized the, I'm not good in anything. I, I, I don't know, what am I going to be, what am I good at singling? I don't know. I was so moved by movies. I go, I want to do that. And then I saw uh, Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. Yeah. 
and I saw, I listened to Springsteen songs for the first time. And I go, whatever's going on inside me when I listen to those songs, that poetry. Yeah. And whatever's going on inside me, going on inside me when I watch Robert De Niro, I didn't know who he was, transform his body. Yeah. I was so blown away and so moved by the story, uh, you know, that I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I just needed to somehow either be a part of it, create it, the, you know, the mystery, the mystery of, is that, is that for me? Could I do that? And they just like the idea that I was going to be a stand-up comic. I mean, what? Hey, Brian, why don't you try being a Senator? <laughs> uh, you know, it's an outrage. It's just as outlandish. Yeah. yeah. So, so anytime you have this dream, a lot of times it's like, you know, I was talking to Adam Duritz, who's the lead singer of Counting Crows. And he said, when I was younger, I was just so desperate to be heard. And I was like, that's, that's it. That's right. That's right. So maybe I was just, I was desperate to see if I could distinguish myself. I was desperate. I was desperate to see if I could be as unique as I felt. I just didn't want to be ordinary. Yeah. Why? That, that, that's the question I've been asking a lot lately because people can grow up in the same exact situation to the same parents in the same environment and end up on two totally different paths. And I've tried to ask myself that question because I feel very similar in terms of there's just, I don't, I can't explain. I don't know why it just kind of, there's something in me that just makes me want more well, things. You're getting into, you're getting into religion here a little bit because, or philosophy, let's say, because the why when you're young is status, power, sex, attention, dominance, whatever it is, right? You, you just want to be the person with the resources. Yeah. And you want to be the person who is got the adulation. Yeah. The guy. Oh, yeah. Guy. Yeah. I think life humbles you. And I think what happens is you realize that no matter who you are, you're going to lose all that. And that that's a fool's errand. Mm -hmm. I, I, you're excused for the trance and the spell it casts on you as a young person. But I think that as you get to be my age, you start to realize that that's not the goal. The goal is to do these things and to try to be original in your expression for its own sake. You're never more yourself than when at play. I'm, I'm quoting Schiller right now. The, uh, because when he said you're never, a man is never more himself than when at play, what he was talking about is when you're doing that, not, not hookers in an eight ball, you know, but when you're doing that, that which you would do for its own sake, something you would do for free, sure. right? And so then you start to, the, the goal is to let go of yourself uh, in a way to prepare for your own inevitable demise and, and uh, ultimate extinction, your death. I want to, as Socrates said, I want to treat my own body and my own appetites with a quiet contempt. I don't want to be attached to any sensation. Maybe I'm getting closer to the idea of what God is, or certainly being closer to that which I cannot measure and that which is much larger than myself. Yeah. And I don't have to define it. In fact, in many religions, it would be heretical to try to define it, right? It's why the Jews and the, the, the Muslims don't have, you know, saints and, and, you know, iconography and things in their, in their temples and in their mosques, because that would be considered the worship of false gods, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think maybe the greatest lesson in, the, in at least the Judeo-Christian ethic is don't worship false gods. The Israelites were constantly being punished for worshiping false gods. 
including the fact they were like, we need a leader. And God was like, I gave you the 10 commandments. I'm your leader. Yeah. Really? Okay. That's what you guys want to do. Fuck off. And he gave them one leader after another. It never worked. Yeah. But there, there are lessons in that. The book of Kings, the book of Judges and stuff like that. That, that. That's literally the whole Jewish Bible, or at least the Old Testament, I should sure, say. Sure. It's like just that lesson of you guys keep looking for the answers over here where man lives as opposed to over the things here. that you can consciously conceive. Yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an it, it's an it's a it's a philosophy or a faith or a yeah, a, a system of belief that I'm very intrigued by as yes. I get older. Because you can you can read philosophy like you know, every time I talk to like a uh, Silicon Valley guy you know, just there are a lot of people I know who are into longevity. A lot of guys my age who are into longevity. You know what I mean? Bio they want to say, yeah, bro, they want to biohack so they can live fucking till they're 150. <laughs> so they can look at themselves in the mirror when their skin is, when they look like a fucking Halloween porch decoration. And they, they, they want to go, I need another 50 years. Uh, you know, okay. If I can look 25 till I was 150, I guess I'd become a master pianist and guitarist. I don't know what the fuck. I, I understand the impulse to live forever. I want to too. Yeah. But that love of oneself is a form of idolatry. It doesn't really- well, it tends to be with people who are the least religious. That's what I'm saying, yeah. is that you're going you're gonna to get religious about something else. Sure. It's, and, and, and so every time I talk to the Silicon Valley people, but you talk to them about meditation or even prayer, whatever that is, yeah. The, the first question they, they ask is, has, has, does that boost your productivity? What's that well, on a percentage scale? What would you say? Spreadsheet. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut up, you. I don't care about, you shouldn't care about you. And, you know, I, fucking, now I, I eat a certain way. I, I intermittent fast. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I want to die. Those are the people I admire. Martin Luther King and Gandhi and Malcolm X and Jesus Christ and all the people people admire and the Buddha, they weren't like, I have abs actually, because what I'm doing now is I'm intermittent fasting. I'm taking this drug that tends to lengthen my talons. I can't stand it. Get the fuck out of here. A bus is going to hit you. Yeah. You're going to fucking yeah. die. And you might beat me by a year, but I doubt it, by the way, you fucking hack. You biohacker. No, that is that is the crazy thing. Not to get too somber or serious, but my one of my best friends from growing up, his mom was in mid-50s last week, two weeks oh. ago, got in a car accident and didn't make it. Happens all the time. And it was brother. just like a it was one of those because you do, you know, you, you try to stay healthy, go to the gym, sure. work out. And you get pancreatic cancer, but yeah, you never had a drink or no cigarette in your right. life. That's what life is. Yeah. That's what I grew up is. with. She was 27, 28, got Stage four stomach cancer. She died diagnosed, and she's a nurse, super healthy. That's right, a nurse, that's, and passed away yeah. like two years ago. Yeah, that's called life. Twenties, and people should study how that happens, and they should study how to stop that, and they should use their own bodies again. Sure. Big. I respect all of it. Sure. Just please understand, nobody gets out of this thing alive. At the end of the day, right? The great equalizer. Yeah, there's it's nothing wrong with trying to be as healthy as you can and optimizing, but it can't be the only thing. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So on another note, I saw something you said about two questions that that you've really tried to answer in your life or two questions that you think matter, which is what is courage and what is being a man? Mm. Have you found answers to those questions and how do you think about them? I did a podcast again with this guy, Mike, Mike Rittler, and uh, he trains Malinois. And these dogs are, I mean, dude, a 67 pound dog will rip you to shreds. It will rip, I don't give a shit who you are. This thing was biting through the fucking bite suit. And I was like, oh my God, I was, yeah. the pressure. And I was like, well, they would shut your arm off. I don't care who you are. That dog is going to take you to the ground and you're going to be screaming and you're done. And the lack of fear in that dog's face but it took him three years to get that dog to that point so even a dog that's been bred for that you can break that dog very quickly and very easily if you're not careful and building that dog's confidence is a huge part of the technique when it comes to bite work and i said you know he goes i've learned more about human nature working with dogs than anything else and this is a guy who was a navy seal who was saying that i have a i think some of it's a genetic anomaly which is all of us don't have the same sense of self-preservation a lot of other people do. So maybe that's what it is, right? You're kind of born with a certain sort of lack of fear. So, so there is courage is inherent in some ways. Some people just don't have the imagination for what could go wrong. But if you hear someone like Hicks and Gracie, Hicks and Gracie will tell you that fear and intelligence are very closely related. And people who have no fear tend to be, there's, there's, the, there's the bravado of a fool. So... I don't know that I believe in courage, so to speak. I mean, you're brave when you have been taught how to navigate the situation. And I think there is something called courage to be the best you can be. I do think courage exists. I would define courage as being terrified, but taking, assuming the position anyway. Yeah. And so that would be the idea that I can, um, but that would be something like sacrifice, or something like self-control which is how the Greeks define character. The reason we admire people that do that, it's not that they aren't terrified. When Nelson Mandela was sentenced to death, you could see him swallow. He was terrified. He didn't show it, but he was fucking terrified. He was going to die. 
Nobody is brave. When you lock that cage in the UFC, I've talked to too many badass fighters. They're always afraid. They're always terrified of that. You know, it's like, I got to fight now? Holy shit. This is the most uncomfortable shit. GSP, the story's about him going, I don't want to go out there. This is fucking nuts. Yeah. He's a brilliant man who realized this is the dumbest shit on the planet. But he was so good. And and my buddy Andy Stump, talking about being a SEAL Team Six guy, and being the squirrel suit guy, you know, he, he used to hold the world record for the squirrel suit. And he's like, I'm just risk averse. I was just very careful. Now, I think he's full of shit. He's also crazy, but you know. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So so courage is probably not not you know not the Spartan, you know, Greek yeah. version of charging the hill. That exists, but that might just be the idea that you're just not you're able to not indulge in your standing porter at the door of your mind and not allowing any of the bad. But that's a huge part of it too. Yeah. yeah. Again, learning what not to think about, mastering the ability to allow only the positive things and the positive outcomes, uh, potential positive outcomes into your mind and keeping the other things out. That's a huge part of it. And being a man, well, you know, I know what traditional masculinity is. Stoic, provider, protector. And I agree with all that because that's inherent in us. It's not my fault. It's what how I evolved. My aggression, I need it. My anger, I need it. My fear, I need it. My ability to prepare for a worst case scenario, I fucking need it because the world is a war. It's not a community. It's not how I think. Okay. And so there is that inside of all of us as men, but you don't measure strength with one metric who can lift the most weights and you know, the, the NFL, the stock market, you measure strength with in many different metrics. How creative are you? There are people that are, can't do one push up but they can create beauty for its own sake. And it's what we all point to. I don't know that Steve Jobs had abs. I don't know what Steve Jobs' Fran time was in CrossFit, okay? And I don't think anybody gives a fuck. He was incredibly creative. You know, Isaac Mizrahi is gay as it gets. I don't want to live in a world without Isaac Mizrahi. I don't want to live in a world like that, like that Chechnya where they kill gay people because they're so fucking, because that, that fucking guy is so dumb. Yeah. He doesn't understand what, what people who are different provide a culture. He doesn't realize that people who are creative, who might love differently or think differently, have other strengths that make your culture strong, make your culture creative. You know, that, that's the irony of, of measuring strength. with When you measure strength with one metric, which is the men who have the biggest club or the biggest guns, you get Somalia, you get Afghanistan, yeah. the chaos of Somalia. I'm not talking about their cultures. I'm not talking about their people. Sure, sure. I'm talking about the, the, the chaos the that these countries became. When <laughs> men rule everything with a gun, fuck off. It's, it makes you weak. Yeah. That's the irony. Which is another thing that makes America so awesome. That's right. Comparatively. It's, why, it's also why there's nothing left of Sparta but some shards of clay, <laughs> some pottery. And, and Athens has left a legacy of incredible literature and philosophy and everything. Yeah. yeah. I find uh, there are a few common denominators with, you know, we've done over 800 episodes of show, interviewed hundreds of really, really successful and smart people. And one of the things that I find is kind of a common denominator between all of those people is the ability to overcome rejection. And, and we're kind of talking about this a little bit earlier, but I've did door to door sales for a multitude of years. And I'm very familiar with rejection myself. And I would say that of all things, that's probably the most direct feedback in terms of rejection. And if there were one thing that I would say is even a step further than 
doing just straight up 100% commission door-to-door sales. It would be acting in stand-up comedy. How do you view rejection and are like, is there a structure or a system through which you help yourself overcome those things and keep moving on? It's just built into the model. Yeah. I mean, it's just built in the model. It's like saying, I want to train in in MMA and I fucking, I got knocked out. I hurt my nose, you know, I'm sore. My back is sore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not making I'm not me. I didn't make a hundred million dollars this year, and I've hung and worked really hard on my jujitsu. That's right, motherfucker. You're going to be poor with a roommate in your thirties, but that's not. That's all built into the model. You want to be an actor? Cool. You want to be a stand-up? I'll see you in ten years. Yeah. yeah. And then you're still not going to make it. So it's just part of the thing. You just follow your. It's not a rational choice. The, The rejection has nothing to do with it. I got seven yeses. In, tw- in 30 years, seven significant yeses. And the rest were no's. I'm not joking. But uh, For like roles you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> seven. Yeah. Seven things worked out. H- out, maybe, of how, out of how many maybe. shots? How many out of that? In 30 years. Yeah. I mean, in 30 years. Thousands. Yeah, thousands. Yeah. It's my baby. I apologize. Silence, child. <laughs> um, I don't stand for that. I run my house with an iron fist. <laughs> All right? Yeah. I gotta have some baby because he's 10 months like, ah! <laughs> yeah, my son will be a king. He will be separated from his mother. You have one more month. Learn how to eat gruel from a bowl, sleep on a cold marble slab and understand that the only thing, the only true friend, the only true constant he can rely on is pain. Pain and solitude. My son. Sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> In Manhattan Beach. In Manhattan Beach. <laughs> Um, with lots of cuddles. So you've also done these kind of like guest roles on 30 shows. Yeah, everything. I said yes to everything. I'm a whore. What what were some of them that you think you would have made a great regular on or that you wish you could have? Everything, everything. You know, you're asking me. I I think I'm, you know, I think I should have chosen everything. Yeah, of course. I mean, you have to think that as an actor. It's like, not me? The fuck? You don't want, you want want medium? You don't want medium and wrinkled? uh, What the fuck? That's the other thing that's humbling is like, you see yourself and you're like, I don't think I'd I'd cast my me either unless I was casting super regular guy. Super average dude, middle of the road guy. Yeah. 5'11, 170, but short femur bone, so he looks shorter. Whatever it's on the casting call, there's a lot of those people out there. Yeah. <laughs> I would choose you over me. You're a much better looking guy. I'd be like, get the guy with the fucking hair and he's bigger. And well, why would you get the fucking that guy over there? It's like I had this joke in my stand-up, but it was true. If I picked your pocket in a parade, you know, if I picked your pocket in a parade. You wouldn't know how to describe me to the cops. They, they wouldn't have anything going. He was medium, brown hair, white. <laughs> that sketch artist would have a tall order. Yeah. To- yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, every guy. Yeah. Let's start with an oval face and fucking two dots for eyes. Yeah. <laughs> are, are there any that's. By the way, my special you? man tears just dropped. Yeah. YouTube, it's free. Oh, man. Is there, is there one that comes to mind that was like really fun? Or yeah, they were all fun, but you know, again, the reason I'm not crazy about acting was only because um, it was more the people I get to work with. It's the bonding experience, yeah. you know. I just did uh, a movie, my buddy Kevin Max movie, McIntyre, Mac McNamara's movie. I think it's gonna be great with uh, Amanda Clayton and uh, Mark O'Brien, really great actors. 
great actors. And uh, but I get to work with my buddy Eric Griffin and uh, Jimmy Schubert. Hilarious motherfuckers. Hilarious comics. Smart as shit. That is so fun. Yeah. Just to be on set. And then Kevin is my boy too. So we're just all hanging out and it's a beautiful thing. So the, the, it's the acting gets in the way. Even like people like Paul Giamatti, like yeah, we were doing Hangover 2 and he had won or nominated for um, an Emmy. I think he won it, but for, and he was just like, this is so much more fun. I'm walking around set with everybody's like in character. It's like, ah. yeah. you know, the acting gets in the way. I think he said that. I'm, I'm quoting him. I, maybe he didn't. Sorry, Paul. But, you know, I remember I never forgot that. I was like, yeah. there's this great actor who's, you know, it is what it is. If you, if you meet somebody out on the street and they're like, I know you from something, what are the first things that you tell them that they might know? You, you know, from? the hangover, hangover, you know, the Joe Rogan podcast. I guess, you know, it's, it's fucking amazing. Um, that's pretty incredible that people would know you from Joe th Rogan. Th that's how big over. his podcast yeah. is. What, you know, you never know these things. <laughs> you know, the, how he met your mother, you know, uh, that, everything. How you met your you know, all that's that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Goldbergs, <laughs> you know, she's a coach, you know, yeah, all that. Yeah. Uh, first credit on IMDb that we looked at today is playing Joe Rogan's brother on news radio, news radio. and you throw him through a window. Yeah. Cue clip. How did, how did that come about? Is this, was this like pre-friendship? Yeah, no, he had done mad TV and, okay, and, uh, we just got along, man. Cause the other actors didn't really know what to do with this really muscular guy who was very kind of standoffish. He was just a little bit like, you know, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. But he was a comic and he, he was just, you know, he had, he had his armor up. And I just saw it right away. And I just liked him. Because he was in the martial arts. I was too. We were into this new thing called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was before anybody We were like, who the fuck is Hoist Gracie? We just like, we were just obsessed with it. And uh, he was in, he was a Taekwondo guy, me too. And, you know. Yeah. But, you know, and, and uh, you know, all that stuff. So, so we were young guys. Yeah. And we looked a little bit alike, you know. And I don't know. We just hit it off, with, man. With like a role like that, is that some of the producer- ass or it was no, just like bullied me in he's just like he can play my brother he's the best Fuck it. i was in new york and he, he goes come to la you're coming i was like awesome and it was it was so much fun and that was that was legitimately your first credit on, on imdb like that was your first thing that you did no i'd done a soap opera and yeah. i'd done mad tv and that's yeah, yeah. yeah sure yeah so I, I i had done that for two years were you are you in stand-up at that point i was not i i yes i started doing stand-up before mad tv and then when I got Mad TV, when I would come home to New York, I would do some stand-up. Okay. But for the most part, I stopped doing stand-up for five years. But back then, wasn't the overall kind of idea, like, you do stand-up so that you can get yes. on TV? Yes, and yeah. make millions of dollars and have a cushy life. Yeah, I swear and get to God, royalties from your sitcom. I, yeah, I swear to years. God, most of my career was I just wanted to date beautiful women and eat really well. Literally. Yeah. I was like, I want to... You know, I want to be a famous actor so I can so I can marry a ten yeah. and eat at the best restaurants and drink the best wine. Yeah. That's how superficial I was. <laughs> everything was a, everything was a grind. I just wanted that beautiful house. I wanted to be successful, and success was a cool car, your beautiful wife, and or you know, or or beautiful girlfriend, and eating well. Yep. I mean, but if you really think, if you strip it down, it's embarrassing to say that, but. And I mean, I always had the imagination of wanting to be a great artist. So I'm being a little bit dramatic. Sure, Obviously, sure. that's not true. I wanted to be Robert De Niro. Well, there's lots of ways to eat well. And I wanted to be, the, 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 I take all of that back. I take it all back. Because <laughs> actually, never mind. This is where I say shit and I'm like, that's not true. The, the truth is, I wanted to be a great artist. I wanted to be a great actor. 
I wanted to be Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. I wanted to be Christopher Walken in King of New York and The Deer Hunter. Those movies moved me so much I couldn't take it. I couldn't even watch them. So I just wanted to touch that greatness. That's all I cared about. But I think what happened was I, I realized I, I didn't even know how to get into that. I also didn't know how to do that. I didn't have that schooling. I, I, I'd gone to theater school in New York and I'd, I was in class in LA, but I just didn't, I, I don't know, man. I just, I just started to realize that I was never going to be that brooding deep actor. And I was a jackass. It was a silly goose, and that's when I felt the most alive. Sure. And I had to let go of that. I had to let go of my, I had to let go of that. Yeah. I had to let go of who I was trying to be. And I was pretending to be somebody I wasn't. I also took on a persona because, you know, for me, I didn't have any, I didn't come from anywhere. That's a big thing. A huge thing for me was I didn't come from anywhere. I came from everywhere. Right. I was moved all the time. So I didn't have any roots stories, people, I didn't come from a place. Mm -hmm. And when I would try to write, I would always write. I was always writing. I didn't have any place. I didn't know where to place it. So it was all like, it was all, I was fabricating everything. And so my, my, my screens plays, nothing worked. You're trying to be who you thought you had to be to be that person yeah, rather then, than being the expression of Right. But my mother was Brooklyn. The Italian side was all Brooklyn. And they were Italian. So that's what I, I didn't know the Irish side in Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. So I, I latched onto this idea of being a New Yorker from New York, an Italian guy from New York. I latched onto it. And then I, I made a lot of great friends in New York. So they, they, they became my, my base. But I just, I still wasn't. You've uh, done a lot of work with Todd Phillips. How did that relationship come about? He's a genius and he, uh, he just loved this character I did one time for him when we were, I was out to dinner with him in Breckenmeyer. Breckenmeyer's an actor and he, he introduced me to him. And I would do this Israeli porn star on stage. I think I would make you nice all the way. Come on, get my balls, you know. And he fucking loved that so much. And he just put me in old school. He saw you do guy. it on stage? Yeah, or? he put me in old school as that guy. And then he just loved yeah. me. And then, and then the hangover came along and uh, he wanted me to play. Uh, he put me in Bad Santa which people don't know, but Todd Phillips rewrote from page one, Bad Santa, and directed it. Yeah, his name's not on it, but he did that. Wow. Yes, and um, he's a fucking genius. And then uh, Hangover came along, this little movie, because nobody wanted to do Old School 2. They all said no to him. And he's like, really? You fucking guys are going to say no to me? Good. This is called Revenge. And he wrote The Hangover. Well, I think it was Scott Armstrong and Jeremy. Um, can't remember his last name, but... Um, uh, fucking amazing, right? And they they killed it. Yeah. And uh, and the character initially was supposed to be from New York. A guy like Eddie, who's from Long Island, who had this wedding chat wedding chapel. And yeah. and I on at the read, I said, I think he should be from Armenia or Lebanon or something like that. I'm going to do it like this. Yeah. I can get you anything. So he just lets me improvise. <laughs> so anyway, and then you can see your face in and Joker. hands in the Joker. If you don't yeah. blink. <laughs> spent five days in that or whatever with maybe it was three days. I don't know with, uh, what's his name? Keanu Reeves. I knew he was going to not Keanu Reeves. Uh, uh, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> but I, I, Keanu Reeves. That'd be a crazy different Rocky joker. Playing, Keanu Reeves playing the joker. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I knew he was going to win an Oscar, but I, I, I mean, yeah. I knew I saw him shooting that scene in the bus when I got there. I was like, Oh, he's going to win an Oscar. I could see it. It's like the fighter. The first time I saw the fighter in that opening frame, when I, when I saw what Christian Bale was doing, I go, I was like, oh, oh my God. I knew immediately yeah. that fast. 
the same thing with the Joker. I was like, he he got down 126 pounds for this. He's eating an apple. A day. He was 126 yeah. pounds for that. Yeah, Gosh. or whatever he was. I mean, anybody's willing to put them yeah. that. The people like that. Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis, uh, um, Joaquin Phoenix. The people who are willing to do that to their body, you know, Christian Bale, uh, Meryl Streep, those people, De Niro, like, I don't know what they're into. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they like that kind of masochistic process. I have no idea what they're getting out of that, but whatever they're getting, fine. I I am not that guy. Yeah, That's never happening. I don't care enough. But that's kind of goes back to that moment of clarity for you, right? It's like, well, I want to be that. But also when you strip it down and look at everything that goes into that, it's like, actually, I don't want to do no, that I'm at all. I'd rather to. be this guy, yeah. you know? I know. It's like, I like skiing. I just hate the equipment and the fucking cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All that. What is your best advice to, you know, I'll be selfish here, a 30 year old, you know, ambitious young man? I mean, it depends on what you want. I think the first thing is to come to terms with what you want. And I mean, honestly want, what do you, what do you honestly revere? And part of the problem is that you have children and, you know, and you have people to provide for. But I would say if you want to really get to know who you are, you get very good at one thing, get very good at something. That's the value of jujitsu or whatever it might be playing the guitar, get really good because you'll have to, you'll, you'll have to face up to lots of, your shortcomings. You'll have to overcome your shortcomings. You'll have to learn how to speak to yourself in the right way. And then you can apply those lessons to anything. But I would also ask yourself, what are you, what are you truly motivated by? Being original? Money? What is it? And it's fine. It doesn't, be honest. There's nothing wrong with being motivated by the things you can't really admit to, which is some people just want to be famous. Some people want to be rich because they grew up poor and that was humiliating humiliating to be treated like a second-class citizen. So when they wear a beautiful watch and they drive a beautiful car, the valet and everybody else treats them with respect. And if you don't understand that, you, you grew up with money. If you don't have a compassion for... See, there are a lot of people, like a lot of women are very materialistic. My friends, uh, I know somebody who's very material. This woman is very materialistic. But she grew up poor, man. Yeah. She grew up poor. So she's not materialistic. She, just, she hated that feeling. And all this nice stuff makes her feel safe. It makes her feel like she never has to eat shit again. So, you know, it depends on what, you, what you're motivated by. But you have hustle, man. I'm not worried about you. You have hustle. You got here. You know, and um, if you like talking to people, which you obviously do, and, and you, you learn, I think you're doing, you're doing the right thing. Be patient, though. Consistency is more important than hard work. Consistency is is uh, showing up every day is really the secret. Not not uh, just daily attendance or regular attendance. Consistent attendance yeah. is way more important than hard work, than grinding those eight hours a day, which I don't believe in. I don't believe in discipline. Yeah. I don't believe in discipline. <laughs> I don't believe in you know I gotta fucking lose weight. Okay, good luck. You keep that. I believe in inspiration. I believe in associating pleasure with whatever you're trying to do. You know. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you got some stuff to do. Last thing before we go. So the show's called Travis Makes Friends and uh, we kind of switched the, the whole message because I found that the more connected we get 
as society as a whole, I feel like the more disconnected we are because people are working virtually, it's harder to go deep on relationships. I feel like any anymore. And it's harder to find friendships as an adult when you have a bunch of stuff going on, you got kids, you got, you know, ambition, you got this thing, this project. And then you, you if you're not careful, you can go your whole life and then wake up when you're 60 and go like, man, I don't really have any like real friends. And I think that would be a failure on my, on my part. And I think that a lot of people my age are probably going to be going through that without really realizing it. You get it more when you're my age. Men lose their connection to other men Hmm. and they get lonely. And I think after this, uh, this one hour, I I consider you my best friend and I love you more than my children. And I said it out loud and I don't give a shit who, who knows it or who hears it. Okay. Your producer, I don't trust. (laughs) That's a good call. Yeah. That's that's not even a real camera he's holding. Yeah. That one's a good call. I know. And I think there are things that live in his beard, like small sparrows and maybe even hornets. I don't know. He looks like the devil. I said it. I don't give a fuck. I'll be friends with him too. And uh, what so was the, your question? the question is like, how do you actually go make friends? How do you recommend to other people go go find some friends, fill your life with relationships, and like we were talking about earlier, connection, laughter, experiences. Yeah, find find interesting people, find colorful people, and know how to look for it. Create experiences that they can share in. It's not just about, you can go watch a game and drink a beer. That's great. People need connection. But, you know, I also think, um, I also think there's a spirited relationship to be had between people you disagree with and engaging in that, you know, and also just having, yeah, I think, uh, I think we, we, we mark our life with the number of times we laugh and the times that, you know, the experiences that, so the, the two things that are the most, the most, the rarest commodities are adventure and intimacy. And a lot of times adventure builds intimacy. So, you know, if you have to die young, but leave a good looking corpse, you know, she said, basically turn your life into a circus. And that's probably the best way to foster real relationships. And a really good way to wrap up this episode, dude. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, Before we take off, where do you want people to go to find? Uh, December one, two, three, and four. I'm at Naples at the, uh, off the Hook Comedy Club, my special Man Tears just dropped on YouTube, Man Tears. I'll be at, in, in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana at the Summit Comedy Club uh, in January. Perfect. I don't know where else I'm going to be. Oh, in March, I'll be in New York at the Sony Theater. Yeah. But um, that's where I'm going to be, man. Best of my TV show on YouTube just dropped uh, my last episode. So tune in. Man Tears on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Go check out. Go check out Brian's new special. I always love giving it, uh, giving it a look when whenever you come up with new stuff. I'm always looking for new stuff from you. Good, so, um, I, I, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for inviting us into your home and yeah, allowing us to invade for a second. We appreciate it. Absolutely. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.